I'd like to welcome you all as well and want to welcome a special group of people that are here, those in the Living Discipleship Program. There's 21 of them, so they're a majority, not quite, but of us <laughs> in the room. But if my memory serves me, and I need to be corrected if I'm not correct, but we have attendees in that program that come here from the village, from Ananda Los Angeles, from Ananda Palo Alto, from Ananda Sacramento, from Ananda Seattle, from Ananda Texas, and Ananda India. Did I get everyone? Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> and they're led by illustrious leaders, uh, Atman, Nayaswami Aditya, and Nayaswami Maria. So I'd like to read to you from Yogananda's book of Answered Prayer Demands, Whispers from Eternity. Thou hast come into my temple at last. The doors of my senses are open wide. The bird of darkness has taken wing. I tune the harp strings of my heart and sing a song of my ages old love for thee. My song will be newly costumed with the fresh notes of my soul. Wavelets of my song will dance in rhythm within the heaving of thy great ocean of cosmic consciousness. Growing to great billows of devotion, they will move steadily to thy shore. O lullaby of all soothing, rising, crashing waves, sing to me the song of my beloved mother, eternity. O anthem of divine love, Rock me sonorously in the cradle of cosmic vibration and bring all my restless delusions to sleep at last on the great bosom of thy peace. So, so the emphasis in this reading is, um, it applies all the time to us. It's that difference between the little egoic self being what's driving us to that higher expanded cosmic self our true nature. And this emphasis of attunement is really important because it allows us to shift from the eye of the ego into the cosmic eye of omnipresence. Uh, Parvati told me this story years ago about this man who was a devotee and a, a member of Ananda village and had a counseling session with Swami Kriyananda. And he was feeling very discouraged and when he came to Swami Kriyananda, he said, Sir, I just feel I'm really out of tune. And Swami, with a delightful and helpful answer, said, Well, everyone's out of tune. What we're talking about here is what degree. <laughs> but what he was saying is that until we become Jivan Muktas, freed while living, then we always have the ego. The ego is still there. It may be minuscule towards that, that threshold when we become Jivan Muktas, but it always is that uh, part of us that is not in attunement. Otherwise, we would just be in that oneness of God. And so the point isn't whether we're out of tune, it's what are we doing to move forward to greater attunement. And I don't know what Swami's answer was to this man, but I assume it was in that vein, in that emphasis, that of course we have things to work on. But 
And this is where introspection comes in, in an interesting way, that we want to understand where we're at. But on the other hand, we don't want to put the emphasis on where we're at. Our emphasis should be moving forward to having that greater attunement. And I was thinking about this, that um, there are some of you here in the sanctuary that are perhaps guests for the Expanding Light, and this is a first-time visit to Ananda, at least Ananda Village. And there may be a thought, well, wait a minute, how do, how do I relate to this? I don't even think of attunement as being why I'm coming to Ananda. And yet, if you think about it in a more kind of universal approach, attunement can be understood as simply the way that we expand ourselves towards fulfillment. Pretty easy, pretty practical. It makes it so that it's not some spiritual idealism, but the practical way of each one of us moving towards fulfillment. I remember a number of years ago, there was an older man. Now, saying older is always a relative <laughs> concept. He was probably my age uh, when, he, when I had this discussion with him. But um, uh, he was a doctor, semi-retired. And I was having a conversation. And it led to, he asked me where I resided. And I said, Ananda Village. And out of the blue, he said this interesting thing. He said, I don't believe it's a good thing to follow any guru or spiritual teacher. So it's like, wait a minute, what were we talking about? <laughs> um, but I paused just briefly and said, you know, I agree, I agree completely with you. And I do. And I said to him, really what we're trying to do is have attunement to the consciousness behind a guru or spiritual teacher. Then he paused. And he said, that I can understand and agree with. But interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's semantics, meaning it's usage of words. But what it really reflects is something important. That following can lead to more of a passive relationship. But attuning demands of us to really be engaged, to put the energy into it, but even more so, the subtleties of how we apply that. You know, with the energization exercises, uh, well, with everything we have in this path, there's layers and layers of possible both understandings and experiences. And with the energization exercises, we often hear the emphasis that uh, of using our will, our willpower. The greater the will, the greater the flow of energy is what Yogananda expressed in terms of that and how it applies to these 39 exercises called the energization exercises. But if the emphasis is only on will, it will be imbalanced. And so the balance to that is awareness. Because in that awareness, we start to become the experience rather than just making the experience happen. And even as a beginner on the spiritual journey, that can click into place. It's not as if 
One has to be on the path for some time to really find that balance. But that's really, really, really significant for us, is that we feel and move with that balance in our lives, not only for the particular energization exercises, but in every aspect of our lives. Because in that, we start to really feel that openness and connection in the experience. It's as if we're moving with the energy in the experience, rather than, as I said before, just having that experience. Now, at times, that's not even in our awareness that that's happening, that I'm going to do energization, I'm going to you know, do what I can with my will. But Yogananda gives us a clue in those energization exercises of how to do them. Tense with will, relax and feel. So the relaxation is important, the tension, but more important is that the feeling is the balance to uh, the tension. And, and this is interesting. You know, years ago, I read some words from the great woman saint of India, Anandamoy Ma, uh, the bliss saint, that woman saint that is written about in a chapter of Autobiography of Yogi and written about in The New Path by Swami Kriyananda. And in it she gave this fascinating quote to do with Hatha Yoga. So Hatha Yoga is the experience of working with the asanas, the yoga postures. Uh, that's the, the outward part of what Hatha Yoga is. Um, but she referred to it as yoga, doing yoga by force. Interesting, by force. It greatly puzzled me. Because of the respect of both Master Yogananda and Swami Kriyananda for Ananda Mahima, I thought, I need to dig into this and mine the gold that's behind what she's saying in this experience. That Hatha Yoga is that experience of doing by force. Now, maybe it's an Indian thing that's different with the use of force, but nevertheless, this is what I dived into understanding. It's the same as the tense with will. Is that it's simply, a, in her words, focusing energy so you're there with it and you're attuned to it. You have an openness to it and you're able to go into it behind the obvious. And she said this other uh, phrase, she said, by going in this direction, your true nature will be revealed. Well, she isn't talking about the physical poses in and of themselves, she's talking about the engagement, that attunement, that alignment to what's going to happen as you apply yourself. And when, well, we can use the yoga postures, the yoga asanas, as simply a, uh, an illustration, but this applies all the time to us, is that when we do a yoga posture, we, we focus on coming from a center, whether it's a standing posture, whether it's uh, on the ground, whatever it might be, that what we do is we center ourselves in that inner experience of feeling this is who we are. We're using discrimination, discernment, 
And from that point, working with the breath and our awareness, we move into that pose with focus and clarity. So that's, in a sense, the tense with will or the use of force. And then once we're in that pose, to whatever degree we can do that pose or not do that pose, um, we can perfect the pose. The body isn't the issue. It's our consciousness that allows us to be perfect in the pose or not. And so in that position of however we can stretch without straining, as we apply then a more subtling, a subtler level of experience, we use the breathing. Because the breath engages prana, and prana then enlivens us to those realms that are more subtle. And in Ananda Yoga, we use mental affirmations. And I've always experienced the mental affirmations not as somewhere to go by affirming something, but uncovering what is there. And so in that in that releasing of what should happen and coming into experience of what is really truly happening, then that's yoga. And then coming out of that, uh, that experience of integration, then we come out of the pose with focus, with that awareness of using the will and openness, and we come into the rest point. And the rest point is where we integrate the experience. Until every part of the experience is integrated. Not only that point in between the movement and coming back. And if you just look at our lives on a daily level, daily basis, that's what's happening always. We're being asked to flow with that kind of um, the busyness of our lives, always finding time to be centered. In being centered, we're active in using our own perspective, attuned with divine perspective, to merging into God. I remember years ago, uh, maybe not that many years ago, but in the 1980s, so a few years ago, that Ananda used to have joyathons which for most people involved, it was trying to run a marathon or whatever portion of a marathon. Not everyone could run a marathon. And then there are a lot of people riding bicycles. And we all got sponsors, pledges from people to, as per mile that we would do all of this. And uh, for various projects, uh, part of it was for uh, helping the expanding light financially, and there were other parts of Ananda that we would dedicate the funds from these joyathons. And they were big events. We had, you know, several hundred people involved uh, that would come from Ananda Sacramento and Ananda Palo Alto as well as from the village. And many times we did it up in Chico, um, uh, which is not that far from here. It's in Northern California. A beautiful park called Bidwell Park is is actually where they filmed the original Robin Hood movie. If you go back to see the black and white with Errol Flynn, that's where they filmed it, at this beautiful park. So a nice image to have as we went around uh, the circuit. But it was a six-mile circuit. And I loved cycling at that time, but never got around to really being able to cycle much. I was 
heading up with Ram uh, Ananda San Francisco in the house there in the center we had. And, um, but I thought, well, I'll borrow a bike. And uh, it actually was borrowed from Peter Skillman, if you're here. But uh, I borrowed this bike, and I think I went out three times to do cycling before the event happened. And uh, I'd done this before uh, when the circuit was in Sacramento, and, and I think I did 60 miles and thought, that, wow, that's amazing. And so I thought, I'll double it. <laughs> and I thought I'd get around to getting on the bicycle. Uh, but I did tie some real firm foam on the seat. <laughs> that was my more really effective preparation. Um, but the circuit was six miles. And so I realized I needed to get there really early. Because uh, they had set up, the team had set up the stations, the water stations and all that the night before. So it was, it was there. But it was dark because this was, I think, in October, which, you know, it, the days get shorter at that time. And I, uh, so I got out there, I think a little before six, like quarter to six. And, the marathon portion, the runners were coming at 8 o'clock. Um, but I figured out maybe if I did 12 miles an hour, which seemed reasonable, it would take me 10 hours. And I wanted to be finished before they'd taken down all the water stations and left me <laughs> abandoned. And, uh, but what was interesting is that I applied this principle of attuning to what I was doing through basically this idea of Energy forward and relax. Energy and relax. And I did it with each movement on my legs. Because that's what you're doing in cycling. You're, you're creating you know, the push forward and then you're relaxing briefly and pushing forward, alternating the two sides, obviously. But what I realized is that part of me felt I had no hope to complete my 120 miles that I projected. Um, it was clear that... Um, Huh, that was beyond any reasonable possibility. But I thought, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm doing this because I'm enjoying this and doing this too, like all of us raising funds for this project. And so I thought, okay, I'll just keep going. And uh, I kept going. And uh, miraculously, I did 120 miles. Now it's 20 circuits of the six-mile circuit. So I saw a lot of people in the stations time and time and time and time again. <laughs> and, um, but at the end of the day, I thought, well, at the end of the 120 miles, this is interesting, um, I felt like dying. I mean, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Um, that last, the 20th six-mile circuit, was extremely challenging. I mean, I could barely move my legs on the pedals. And, but I, I made it through willpower. Awareness probably wasn't there a whole lot at that point. And at the end, I realized I had caused that to happen, that last six-mile circuit, in that way. Because I felt I'm close to the finish. I can make it. And I let go of that balance of will and awareness. And it was, it was very challenging. So the next year I decided, 
I will do 126 miles and I'm not going to feel that way at the end of the ride. And that's what happened. That was the last one I did. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it, that it's the openness in all our endeavors, all our activities, every day, maybe every moment. But at least that we cognize, ah, how do I attune? And one of the ways that Master talks about, Yogananda talks about, is also self-honesty. And that's a tricky one in our culture. Um, self-honesty often can be translated or understood as kind of a judgmental, critical perspective. But Master, of course, wasn't emphasizing that. He was talking about pay attention to what is happening and in that reality, expand it into divine reality. So we take the base of where we're at and appreciating it with self-honesty, but not being defined by that. Isn't that interesting? Because it's so easy just to add, this is who I am, when we're introspecting or looking at what's happening. The key is to let go of that definition of who we are in that and really just be more in the flow of energy until we expand, uh, as the reading from Whispers is saying, rock me on, the bo on thy bosom, let us rest in that experience. And with thy dynamic experience of integration, with our intuition fully engaged, being alive, then we know with certainty, even when the tests come and seem to disrupt us, disrupt us, even that last six miles as we blow doing it, doesn't matter. We can pick up the pieces. We can easily say, from this, I can move forward. From here, I can continue to expand. From here, I know that God and Guru are with me. Let's enjoy that experience. Must our lives ever be like the winds on the sea? Oh, laughing alone. What is it for? Living alone, alone. What is it for? Living alone, living alone. Must our lives? 
Thank you. 